0: Test, test, there you go, all right. Sorry about that. Anyway, I watched a documentary this week and it was a 22 year old man who was at a clinic to get an AIDS test. And uh, the, the documentary was about this clinic and how they help people. But this young man, they had his whole interview there. And, um, the healthcare worker asked him, um, you know, why he was there. He said, well, you know, I I want to make sure I want to get an AIDS test and get tested for some other STDs. And so they asked him his activities over the last 10 or 20 days, why he was there to get tested. And he said he had gone to a pill party. Um, And if you're not familiar with those, young people probably are. It's a, a party where they have various uh, drugs available, and the person can um, walk around and partake of whichever kind of pill or drug they wanna partake of, and then uh, you know have a party the rest of the evening. And so the healthcare worker said, well, do you know what kind of drugs you took? He said, oh yeah. So he listed a half a dozen. And they said, did you take them all in the same night? He said, oh yeah. And I thought, it's a wonder you're alive, okay? But he, but he was, and he was, took all these drugs. And then he said, after I was um, high, he said, I don't really remember everything that I did, but he said, I think I slept with a bunch of people. Now I'm not telling you that story to highlight his promiscuity. The thing that struck me about the story in relation to this text is this. In the whole conversation, the young man had no conviction about right or wrong. In fact, not only was he devoid of any conviction about what would be appropriate and inappropriate, what's right and what's wrong, um, he, had no, uh, he had no perception. He really had no understanding um, that there is sin and there's righteousness and there's right and there's wrong. Uh, if you were to ask that young man, I think, his concept being so uh, unable to perceive sin or right and wrong, he would have probably been the first to say, I've not, I don't I don't sin, I've not done anything wrong. Um, and that's where we are for the most part in society today. There is this movement and has been, and there is today even more and more, this movement of of not recognizing there's right and wrong. And that right and wrong and sin have been redefined if someone's even willing to admit that there's sin. This young man was not concerned with his conduct or his choices in life. He was there to get tested so that he could continue in his sin and misconduct. John specifically addresses sin in this passage. Now we know that John is writing to Christians in this passage, but the truths that he says here about sin are universal. They apply to Christians and lost people alike. And so I want us to look at John's description here and his discussion about sin, which reveals to us the truth about sin. Look at uh, verse eight of 1 John chapter one, and let's read down to verse 10. Very familiar passage for those who are saved. John said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God, he is God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. First John said, if we say we have not sinned, if we say that we have no sin. now when you read that, you think that's an incredible position to take for a person to say, I've never sinned. I have shared the gospel with a lost person before and they looked at me and said, I don't sin, I don't have sin. There are people in the world who, who don't perceive their own sinfulness, i.e. this young man uh, that I use in the illustration. But really there are two ways that people would reject the idea of sinfulness. They would reject the idea of their sin or they might say to us, I've not committed sin. Number one, most of society sees sin as the things they see in the headlines, not daily life. They say sin as murder and adultery and uh, child abuse, embezzlement or bank robbery or some big thing that they would see on the news. They say, well, that's sinful and I certainly don't do any of those things, So. I'm not a sinner. Well, the problem with that perspective is society is defining what sin is and not God. And that's not how it works. God defines right and wrong, not us. God defines what is acceptable to Him and what is not. We can't change God's standard. The problem with this view is a lack of real understanding of what sin is. The Greek word that John uh, uses here, uh, harmatia, speaks of missing the mark. It speaks of coming up short of a standard. It speaks of not measuring up, not in any specific area, in all areas. In other words, sin is often measured by conduct, an action or a lack of an action, but it's more than that. It It is a state of who we are as human beings. You see, the word that John uses to describe sin here means to miss a mark of what God has said. And you say, well, what is that mark? And the mark is perfection, sinlessness. Now, if we take that standard, guess what we discover about ourselves? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul said, come short. Fallen short of the mark, what is the glory of God? His perfection, His holiness. So it is, it is incongruous for a person to say, well, I've never sinned, or I've never done these things, so I'm not a sinner. No, we are all sinners. I uh, met a person, as I said one time, and I was sharing with them uh, about sin and about our need to be saved, and they were very quick to tell me, no, I'm, I'm, I don't need that. God and I have an understanding, I'm living just fine. And again, same perception problem. We all fall short of God's standard of perfection. We do not measure up. And so we all need to be saved, we've all missed the mark. The second reason someone would say that they're not a sinner, the first being, I've not done any of those things that I think are sin, so I'm not a sinner. The second is, it is endemic to our human nature that we, we make excuses for what we do. If you have children and their siblings, what happens? They fight, and when you show up in the room, what do they do? It's her fault. It's his fault, it ain't my fault. I didn't have anything to do with it. And as parents who have been around the block, we go, "Now nah, you're probably both at fault, and I'm gonna get to the bottom of this here pretty soon. We do that as human beings. It, we, we don't want to take responsibility for the things that we do and we see it in our children. Let me, let me tell you how people justify their lifestyles. And this is justifying, it is, a, it is a failure to take responsibility for our own sinfulness. People will say, well, you know, I do the things I do because it's the way I was raised. Well, that's convenient, isn't it? It's my mom and dad's fault. Well, I'm, I'm guilty of a lot of things, but not my children's sinful choices, okay? they make the decisions they make because they're an independent rational human being who makes sinful choices just like you and i do so there's the excuse of i was just raised this way it's not my fault that that i make these choices it's the way i i learned to live can i encourage you to understand this those who are watching online that excuse won't work with god when you're standing in front of them one day Amen. because we are responsible for our sin. Here's another one. Well, it's just the way of my culture. It's just it's the way we do things. That's not going to work either. That's not an excuse for disobeying God. That's not an excuse for sin. Here, here's one. It's just the way I am. God made me this way, and so it's God's fault. Man, I've heard that one before. But it's just the way I am. It's in my genetics. Are you listening very carefully here? God did not create man to sin. The first man, Adam, was created perfect. You know who sinned? Adam chose to sin. Now we are born in the likeness of Adam, but you and I cannot blame Adam for our sinful choices. Listen to me, and this is hard. We are responsible. We are responsible. You are responsible for your sin, and I am responsible for mine. Well, I'm not responsible for mine anymore because Jesus took it, but you understand the point, right? I am responsible to God for what I do, and so are you. Here's another one. Now, these three I, I hear quite often as well. Well, you know, I do what I do, and I live the lifestyle I live because of my social environment. I hear this, I hear this. Inside of every person is goodness, we just gotta create an environment for it to come out. No, that's not right either. Inside of every person is badness. And we create laws to keep it from coming out. We're not trying to create environments to get goodness out. We're trying to keep the badness from coming out. So it's not about environment. It's not about economics. I've had people say to me, well, you know, I didn't have all the advantages when I was growing up and so I am the way I am. Money is no excuse for sin. I've had people say, well, you know, if I was a little more educated, maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't see life the way I see it. No, education is no excuse for sin or lack thereof. What I'm sharing with you is simply this, we cannot make an excuse for our sin. Now we know, Now let, you don't have, we're not gonna do any confessions here, but you know, that in your life, when you've been faced with a choice to sin or not to sin, and you really wanna do the thing that you wanna do, you make excuses in your own mind. Because I do it, I begin to justify it to myself. Well, you know, this thing's really okay. And if you know the Bible, you start looking for verses to do that. You start going, well, you know, the Bible said, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But no, we are responsible for our sinfulness. So we cannot deny that we're sinners Okay, because we think that we have moved the line, meaning we as a society identify what's right and wrong. And today in society, listen to me, we've called right, wrong, and wrong, right. So we've, we, we think we've moved the line and that if we don't cross the line that we drew, everything's okay. No, God's line's never moved. God's standards have never moved and he's not gonna move them. And people are gonna be held accountable to God for his standards, not ours nor can we abdicate the responsibility for our choices when we know better, when we know there's a God and we know inherently from creation there's a God and the Holy Spirit deals with us. Now, here's the problem John said in verse eight. If we say that we have no sin for one of these reasons, if we make an excuse or we try to abdicate our responsibility or we say, look, it isn't really sin, we've determined that that lifestyle or this thing isn't wrong and so it is a sin, John said, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Does it get any plainer than that? It is self-deception. That means to lead oneself astray, to say that we are not sinners. Here's the problem. It's 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 a progressive issue if we say we're not sinners, we've deceived ourselves, we've, lead, we, we've led ourselves away from the truth, which then removes us from any, any possibility of getting saved because what's the first step in salvation? God, I'm a sinner according to your standards, not mine, and I'm sorry and ask you to forgive me. And if a person won't come to the point where they say I'm a sinner according to God's standards, then they have deceived themselves and they will never come to Christ. They will never get saved. So what's the answer for sin? Verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This verse is applicable to lost people and saved people alike. You see, when a man or woman who's lost or a young person, boy or girl comes to Christ and they make that initial confession, God, I'm a sinner by nature, and I have purposely sinned, I've transgressed, means I've chosen to break your laws, and God, I'm sorry, and ask you to forgive me. There's an initial forgiveness for judgment's sake. Listen very carefully. God has determined to judge all sin. And in that moment of salvation, Jesus Christ, forgives my sin, past, present, and every sin I'll commit the rest of my life, it's under the blood. And never again in all of eternity will I be called into court before God to answer for my sin because Jesus paid for them all. But then you say, well, pastor, after, I'm, after I was saved, I still sin. Yes, we do. And this verse still applies. When I sin as a Christian, I again confess to God not to be resaved. Everybody understand that? In other words, you only get saved once. I'm not getting resaved saved every time I confess. No, I'm saved once and forever in Jesus Christ. But I confess to keep the fellowship close. I confess so that my walk with God is not hindered. And the same Jesus who forgave me and saved me is the one who forgives my sin ongoing forever until he gives me a new body and I'm not around sin anymore. So this verse is that if we confess our sin, if we confess, now here's the problem. Here's why people won't get saved. They won't confess. They won't come to Jesus. It really is that simple. They won't come. You say, why won't they come? Because they like sin and they like darkness more than light. They like the sin. Why won't the young man in the illustration in the beginning, why won't he get saved? You say, well, maybe nobody's told him. Well, let's just say somebody has told him. Why won't he forsake the lifestyle and the pill parties and all the immorality and the promiscuity? Why won't he come to Jesus and say, Lord, I've sinned against you, the creator of heaven and earth and God forgive me. And Jesus will forgive him in an instant. But why won't he come? Why? Because he likes to sin more than he wants to come to Jesus. He likes all that stuff. And the Bible warns us that stuff's gonna kill him and then it's gonna doom his soul forever. You see, the world thinks that's judgmentalism. Oh, you Baptist man. No, listen, God loves everybody. But the truth about sin is God hates sin. And John said, if we confess our sin, he will forgive it. Now there are two bases, two, Two foundations of why God will forgive our sin when we ask Him. And the first one is this right here, because of God's faithfulness. Because of God's faithfulness. Throughout the Bible, God has said, those who come to me and ask for forgiveness, I will, I will surely forgive them. Matter of fact, Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. Period. So God said, If you come to me and you ask me, I'll save you. So on what basis can we be sure that we're gonna be saved when we ask him? Because he said he would. God is faithful to his word. God will never fail to do what he said he's gonna do. Now that ought to encourage you and it ought to scare you if you're lost. Because everything God said in the book that he's gonna do, is gonna happen. And if you're on the wrong side of things, it's gonna be bad for you. But if you come to Jesus and you ask him to save you, based on his faithfulness, he will save you. And secondly, not only because of his faithfulness, because of his justice. Now you say, well, it's because of his justice that we should be judged. That's true. God is just and he has condemned all sin. However, he also satisfied his justice in Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross and he shed his blood and he died, he paid the penalty for sin, which was death and he paid the price for sin, the old gospel song paid in full, Jesus did it. And so when we come to Jesus and we confess, as John said here, and we say, Lord, I'm sorry, save me from my sin. God's justice has been satisfied and he can forgive me and he can forgive you and still be just in doing it because his law has been met. You can come to Jesus. You can come to him and ask him to forgive you no matter where you are in life no matter what you're doing and he'll forgive you but you have to come and you have to ask him now the last thing john said in this verses here in verse 10 he said this he repeated it again he said if we say that we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us if we say that we have no inherent sin if we say that our acts of disobedience are not sin and if we reject our responsibility for sin, then we are in essence calling God a liar. And we are in essence setting ourselves against God and saying, you say I'm a sinner, I say I'm not a sinner, so there we are. That's not going to work out well for you. You understand? You say, well, pastor, I'm not sure I agree with you. You don't have to agree with me. You are calling God a liar if you reject what the Bible's saying right here. Listen very carefully. All of God's dealings with man since the Garden of Eden have been to reconcile us to Himself. Think about it. He instituted a sacrificial system right there with Adam and Eve that they passed on to their boys to be able to approach Him. After the flood, He calls Abraham and creates a nation called Israel, gives them the law, gives them a sacrificial system, a temple, a, a tabernacle, a temple. Well, all, and listen, all of that stuff, all the, all the uh, uh, ceremonial laws of Israel that you go back and you read in the Old Testament, which is such fantastic reading, by the way, uh, all that stuff, you know what it did? It pointed to Jesus. It was a picture of that final sacrifice who would come. Jesus came, he died on the cross, the church was born and we have the gospel today. What is God doing? He's pleading with men and women to come to him and be saved. God has done all he can and all that needs to be done to reconcile us to himself. What's the message to the lost today? Very quickly, listen to me. If you're lost, if you're watching online or you're in this building and you know that you're not saved, you know you've never prayed and confessed your sin to God and asked him to save you, you are guilty before God because we all are. And listen, understand what the standard is. The standard is not just in a single act of disobedience, it is in our very nature that we are separated from God by our sin. If you've been less than the father you were to be, you're a sinner. If you've been less than the wife and mother you were to be, you're a sinner. If you've been less than the son or daughter or child that you should have been growing up, you're a sinner. If you've been less than the employee, you should have been at work. If you've been less than the citizen you should be in a country, you are a sinner, do you understand? because we don't measure up. So the answer is, the good news is Jesus will forgive you. Paul said in Romans 9 and 10, if we will confess with our mouth Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You shall be saved. There's no reason there's no reason for you to hear the message of God's word today and not be saved other than your own hard heart and rebellion. And I, I plead with you not to do that. In fact, right now, if you're lost, you ought to pray to receive Jesus right now. You say, oh, but you're not done. Now, I don't care. You ought to get saved right now. You ought to pray, God, I'm, I'm a sinner, so I'm sorry, forgive me, save me. you get saved in your seat. you get saved saving a line on your couch. Put your coffee down. Pray, ask Jesus to save you. Let me show you one more thing John said here in the first two verses of the next chapter, First John 2, verses one and two. He kind of seals the deal with what he said at the end of chapter one with this. Notice what he said. He said, my little children. There's a diminutive phrase there in the Greek that means uh, that indicates compassion and affection for them. Who, who's his little children? Now keep this in mind. John is, by this time, is the last living apostle who saw Jesus. And, uh, and he's writing to these Christians. And that's who are his little children, his, his children in the faith. And he says, my little children, these things I write to you, that what? You may not sin. And if anyone sins, now he's talking to Christians here, look at this. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Now watch this last part and not for ours only, but also for the whole world." Now, based on what John said previous to this, like to Christians, but also applicable to all people, he talks about more why that's true and advocate. First he said, "'I write you these things that you may not sin.'" Now, why would he say that to Christians? Why would he say to Christians, I'm writing you this so you don't sin. You think, well, Christians and not sinning should be synonymous, right? Not so much, okay, not so much. Let me tell you the perspectives that Christians can take in error, and Paul wrote against this very strongly. A Christian could take the attitude of license. They could say, well, if I'm I'm saved by faith in Jesus and I'm saved forever, Jesus died to pay for my past sin, my present sin, and my future sin, then then what difference does it make if I sin because I'm in Jesus and I'm saved? Can Can I say as kindly as I can, if that is your perspective of God and of sin, you're probably not saved. Paul said, God forbid that we take the gospel as a license to sin. I'm saved and I'm going to heaven so I can do whatever I want to. That's not biblical, and that's not in the whole idea of being saved. Secondly, Not only can we say license, but as Christians, we can get get so used to our Christian lifestyle that we begin to think sin is not such a big deal. A little sin here, a little sin there, a little allowance in my life here, a little allowance in there, a little thinking wrong, a little looking wrong, no big deal, I'm saved, I'm serving God, I'm doing my thing. No, listen, John said all sin is a big deal. And here's why. When we get saved, two things should be true of us. And listen very carefully, if you're saved, if you're already saved, you've confessed, you know Jesus Christ, you need to understand this. Number one, being saved and obeying God are connected. You can't really have one without the other. Follow me? To know Jesus is to want to obey Jesus. If you say you know Jesus and you don't wanna do what he said, you probably don't know him in the first place. To know Jesus is to want to do what he says. In fact, you could put it this way. To have knowledge is to act on the knowledge. To know right in Jesus Christ is to want to do right in Jesus Christ. In fact, it should be this way. I am grieved when I fail God. I'm grieved when I sin because I know that sin offends God and I don't want to offend him. Now, if that's the compassion of your heart and the passion of your spiritual life, then that's where you ought to be. Sin should bother us. John said, I wrote this little children that you may not sin. There's a second thing ought to be true. Not only when we know Jesus, should we want to be like Jesus, but we should want to emulate Jesus. We should want our life to be like his life. Well, what was the life of Jesus like? Perfect obedience to the Father in every area of life. That should be our desire. Now, I am fully cognizant of how hard that is. And I, and I don't make light of how hard it is, but that does not mean it should not be our goal. In other words, that has to be the goal of our life to pursue Jesus, to pursue obedience, to pursue understanding his word and knowing him and avoiding sin and pursuing holiness. You say, well, you know, pastor, I fail a lot. Well, join the crowd. But Jesus forgives a lot, right? Amen. The key is I understand when I fail, I ask him to forgive me and I keep pursuing holiness. It's like walking down the road, you get in the ditch. Now you can lay in the ditch and wallow around and complain and feel sorry for yourself. Oh, I got in a ditch. Or you can get out of the ditch and get back on the road and go where you're supposed to go, right? I just refuse to stay in the ditch. How about you? Oh, I get in the ditch. You know, you fall in the ditch. You, 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 you know, whatever it is you do, you, you sin. You confess, God, I hate that. I hate it when I do that and I'm sorry. And you get back on the road and you keep going. That's what John's asking them to do. Now he says two things in, in, in the end here that's really good. He says this, number one. Number one, he said, here's why we should avoid sin and pursue holiness. And he said, and and when we sin, when we fail, John says here that we're gonna fail. He says there's two important things. Number one, we have an advocate, an advocate. Now I don't have time to fully unpack all that, but it is the word paraclete or paracletos. We find it throughout the New Testament. It It means in its most basic form, one who comes alongside to help you. Well, I like that. In other words, when I sin, I got a helper. Matter of fact, I have, I have two of them. I got one living in me, the Holy Spirit, and I got one in heaven standing next to the Father. Now that's pretty covered right there, let me tell you. Cause when I sin here, the one that's living in me starts poking me in the chest, right? So, hey, you just went in the ditch, get, get, you know, get back on the road. And so when I get that conviction, I go, Lord, I just sin and I'm sorry. Now, the first helper convicted me and then the second helper, the advocate that John's talking about right here is standing in front of the Father and goes, I took care of that, it's okay. And the idea is this, I have, listen, uh, one who comes alongside to help, the idea in the original is a friend who stands up for us. One who stands up for our cause and says, I'm for them. You could, you could apply the court of law where you have an advocate who, who speaks for us. We have Jesus in heaven at the right hand of the Father, Pleading my cause all day long. Pleading my my case all day long. Because when I failed, Jesus said, I already paid for that sin. Already got it covered. Already took care of it. We have an advocate with the Father. And then he went on to say that Jesus is our propitiation. Uh, The word means to satisfy uh, or appeasement of wrath or judgment. Jesus can be our advocate, because he satisfied the wrath of the father against all sin and against all my sin and against all your sin, not for yours and mine only who are saved, but for who? For the whole world. You know what that means? The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is sufficient to pay for the sin of the whole world if a person will simply come to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness. That's what it means. The truth about sin, the world which is led by Satan is a lie. And Satan is a liar, and Jesus said he's the father of all liars. The world and society will tell you, young people, and us old people too, that, you know, what used to be looked at as wrong, we'll just move it over here, and now it's not wrong anymore. And then we'll move it some more, and it's not wrong anymore. This book has not changed. What God calls sin is sin. And we can't say anything different. The truth about sin is God loves you and he'll forgive it. But you gotta ask him. And you gotta be willing to turn away from it and give it up. If you love darkness more than you love light, you're gonna end up in hell. That's where you're going to end up. If you walk away from Jesus and you pursue the sin of this life, and I don't care what sin it is, you pick one. If you pursue that lifestyle, it's going to doom your soul. And God loves you and you don't have to go down that road. We're going to pray. If you're lost this morning, would you ask Jesus to save you? Would you confess your sin and ask him to save you? Because he'll do it right now. Let's pray. Father, there's a world that makes excuses for sin and makes it seem not as bad as it is. But God, you hate sin and it offends you because you're holy. And God, we're all guilty, every single one of us. But God, you are gracious and compassionate. And you love us always. You have loved us from the beginning, before creation began. And God, you will save anybody who will ask this morning. And I pray right now, if there's somebody in this room who is without Christ, Lord, right now, right now from their seat, they'll cry out to you and say, God, I'm a lost man, I'm a lost woman, I'm a sinner. God, I ask you to forgive me. I believe, Jesus, you died on that cross and paid for my sin and you rose again the third day And God, I ask you to forgive me and save my soul. God, you will save anybody who will ask. God, help us as your children, that we might not sin, that we might pursue holiness. That God, you would convict us of wrong thinking and wrong seeing and wrong ideas and wrong purposes and wrong actions. God, not because we think they're right or wrong, but because you define how we should live. Bless us to have a passion for pursuing holiness and serving you. And we pray it in Jesus name, amen. As we stand, if I can pray with you, if you have questions and you need help, I'll be right down front. You come on the first verse. I hear the Savior say, Well, it looks good to see you here today, and uh, thank you for coming, and uh, tonight, Awana celebration for our kids, starting at 530. Come back and cheer those kids on. It'll be a a good time. Let's pray as we go. Thank you, Father, for today, for your blessings, God, for your goodness to us, God, that you forgive and you you, uh, save us, Lord. Bless your people, bless your church, give us a good afternoon, in Jesus' name, amen.